God, they're like, where's Mary Sulfate? And I was like, she's not pre-implanted. Why would I you do that? I don't watch it for all that. I have no idea how to do <laughs> <laughs> We gonna figure this out. I, I don't know anything about this patient. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Everyone, welcome to the bundle of hers. Margot and Bushra in the house today. Lean and Harjeet, we're going to give them a shout out. They're studying for their surgery and internal medicine shelf, which they have tomorrow. So they're studying. Good luck, guys. You'll yeah. be great. But they're literally just sitting outside the studio. So they're here in spirit across the glass. In our last couple episodes and always, we kind of stress this importance of wellness. And part of that is taking time when you get home. Not only are you exhausted and don't want to study, (laughs) but like you just need to turn your brain off for a little bit. So now's the time of year when all the good shows start coming back on air. Right, Bushra? It's not pilot season, but it's the beginning of the new yeah premiere season. Right. New episodes of everything. And... There's a new medical series that we decided to give a look-see. Yes. It's called New Amsterdam, and it's supposed to be a based on um, a public hospital, a failing public hospital in New York, and um, they kind of are exploring the retransformation, or what I imagine the rest of the series is going to be exploring the retransformation and development of this failing public hospital in New York City. So we gave it a watch and we're going to talk about it today just from our perspective and like what we liked and didn't like. And as a side note, Grey's Anatomy starts again tonight. So (laughs) I will be watching. Same. Um, (laughs) It's like you just can't go wrong. 14 seasons? Yeah. Or 15 now? I don't know. You can't be a great show 15 seasons in without it being good. So true. So true. So we'll see if um, this new show, New Amsterdam, can hold up to Grey's Anatomy because we probably have two of the biggest (laughs) Grey's Anatomy's fans, at least at the University of Utah. You know what? Funny story, though. Yesterday, (laughs) yesterday I was walking in the hospital and there was like two nurses talking to each other. and And one of them says, did you watch Grey's Anatomy? And then the other one goes, oh, it's not until Thursday. It's only Wednesday. <laughs> and and I so badly want to say, I know, right, girl? <laughs> so sad <laughs> when it's Wednesday and you wish it was Thursday. But we did have this new Amsterdam show to watch. And um, I think it started out pretty interesting for me. Um, there, the scene of this new medical director um, coming into, well, it didn't exactly start this way, but the the scene that kind of grabbed my attention is when the new medical director walked into an auditorium full of physicians at this failing hospital and he said, how can I help? Was his main question to the audience and no one responded. And then he res- responded by like asking the cardiothoracic guys and people to raise their hands and then he promptly fired them. And, so, and then, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Imagine just coming in new hospital. You're the new guy, new director, and you just fire a straight up whole department. Yeah. That takes some guts. Totally. But yeah. then that got me thinking. I was like, what if this main character, this supposed hero that's swooping in to uh, allegedly save this hospital was a woman? And she had just fired the whole cardiothoracic department. Do you think that they all those majority men physicians would have gotten up and in real life and then in the show would that still have been as captivating? I think it probably would have been more captivating. And you know what? You brought up that the auditorium was filled with mostly male physicians. I didn't Mm -hmm. even realize that until you just brought it up. I think to be like a strong woman in a position of power 
and to exercise that power is a rare thing. But I think, I don't know, I think I would have liked it to be a woman, like me personally, because, you know, I like to see women in those positions. Do I think it would have been meaningful to more than other women? I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Or ratings for the show. Like, that's (laughs) just the part that gets me thinking is, are we still, as a society, not there yet where a show where a female hero can come in and do these things is not going to be as high rating as the part that they chose. And yeah. who knows? Like, cause it isn't that way. Like the show isn't that way. So I don't know, but that was kind of like how it started for me. And I caught my attention and got me thinking in that regard, but I did like this. Um, how can I help? And then uh, the main doctor, this doctor that's swooping in to save the hospital allegedly is he also said, We are the system and we need to change it. And that also really resonated with me because I feel like in medical school and like maybe in our whole education, we're kind of meant to think that we're in the system and we can't change it. And things just get done to us and the curriculum is the way it is. And you just have to do it and jump through these hoops and you kind of feel hopeless and build the mentality that there is no way to change and it's just the system's fault. But this kind of new perspective is like, no, we are the system. We are the voice and we can change it if we want. I don't know if you got that same feeling, Busha. I mean, I definitely got it from the show's perspective. But in my head, like it's a show. (laughs) Right. Uh, It's not real life. And like part of me is all like, yeah, right. Somebody's going to come in and like just fire a, a whole department and you know i don't know like i wish real life was more like that harji always says this you can't change a system you have to dismantle it and rebuild from the foundation up mm-hmm. i think in that regard it was a bit too idealistic which it's a tv show it's fiction mm-hmm. it's not real life but yeah. But don't you think in a sense that is what he was doing by firing the whole department? He was tearing it down and then keeping the one doctor, Floyd Reynolds, the one um, doctor who had the lowest quote unquote billing rates because he was only doing cardiothoracic surgery on the patients that actually needed it. Mm-hmm. And so um, this new doctor, Goodwin, recognized that, well, he was told by another doctor to look, re look at Dr. Reynolds track record of this and, yeah. and so in a way to me it does seem like he tore down the system and then like is now starting with this new perspective and new foundation but sense. again it is idealistic there's no way it would ever be uh kosher and passed by uh hr department to just walk in and fire people i know a lot of people were on the phone with their lawyers Did yeah. you see that <laughs> um one thing that dr reynolds tells dr goodwin is that hey they're not just gonna let you come in and start helping people And then Dr. Goodwin says, well, we should do as much as we can before they catch on to us. And I thought that was I thought that was more like aligned with real life. Let's just do I was going to (laughs) swear. Let's just do stuff (laughs) before we get caught in hell. Help as many people as we can. I feel like that was more real. I think that is true. And. And usually when you do that and there's a positive outcome at the end, then you don't get in as much trouble and people start to change their mindset and be like, start thinking, oh, maybe that is the right way to do it. So I, I think you're right. Yeah. That is maybe more realistic. And then the other doctor, Dr. Bloom, who's an emergency medicine doctor in answering Dr. Goodwin's question of like, how can I help you? And she says, let's get rid of the waiting room. Mm-hmm. I thought about it and I was all like... Like, that's so idealistic to be like, hey, 
no waiting rooms, but like emergency wow. rooms are usually filled with patients. So if there's no waiting room, what are, you know, the incoming patients, what are they supposed, I don't know, man. Yeah. That kind of thinking got my ideas about like how Airbnb and Uber kind of came into these uh, systems, into these industries and totally disrupted the system and the way of thinking. Because before Uber, it was like always taxi drivers. And if you wanted to drive people for a living, you were going to be a taxi driver and go through that system. And they had a very almost monopoly and you had to rent the car and there wasn't very good benefits and treatment of their drivers. But now all of a sudden, Uber, you can be your own driver and the customers were even more satisfied. So it's like, what kind of totally what app can we start yeah, to, basically to decrease <laughs> yes. waiting times in the er we should start on that totally. we will have, money. have to pay our loans off right away <laughs> um, but that kind of thinking i was like yeah it seems like somebody eventually is gonna think of it and then we're all gonna be like well duh <laughs> so we need to start that app I feel like the character that they're trying to portray with her is she's a department head mm-hmm. for emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. She is a brilliant physician in her own right. She, you know, she's not afraid to like disrupt mm-hmm. social norms or whatever. So I really liked her character. Uh, so we find out in this episode that Dr. Bloom and Dr. Reynolds, who is the new head of the cardiothoracic unit, you want to talk about their relationship? Yeah, so <laughs> we don't really know too much about their past history, only that maybe they... They're having a... A swirl. A swirl, <laughs> so to speak. Got together maybe once or twice before, but this kind of dialogue that they end up having about Dr. Reynolds turning her offers and requests for a drink down because he only wants to date black women. And he is also black identifying we assume from the show well he hasn't like said it he's black <laughs> he's black <laughs> Thanks for sure. it's okay no need to be pc <laughs> okay he's, he's black. black and he tells her i want to date a black woman essentially because he grew up on the tv with these football players who had white women on their arms and that was very disenfranchising to his mother and his sister and the black women around him And so he didn't want to fall prey to that same stereotype. And that was kind of a new perspective for me. I think, I don't know, is that something that you've heard of before, had this conversation about? Like, Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, even like on Somali, which is in East Africa, we're black too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, most Somali people date other Somalis. It's easier we have the same culture. We have usually the same religion. Our parents probably interact with each other. We all speak the same language, that kind of thing, right? Cultural sameness. Mm-hmm. And when he said, I want to marry a, like a black woman, like I kind of understood where he was coming from, mm-hmm. from that perspective. And I'm glad that she challenged him on that because... what did he say he goes well i love black women and then she goes well i love black women too but i don't see any black women asking you (laughs) and then she's like i still don't understand literally like i'm here asking you i don't know he it's not organic he's 
not he's turning her down for not a, because he wants to turn her down yeah. but it's just like oh this is how i always a notion imagined my life would be and then he says something along the lines of like i want my children to be black um and i'm glad that she challenges him on what do you mean i'm <laughs> not black mm-hmm. like explain yourself i think she genuinely wants to understand his perspective yeah I think that's something that a lot of people of color deal with, especially if they're, you know, raised in America, right? Um, Interracial relationships. I think it's probably easier to date within your own culture, within your own community, because it is easier. It is like just based off of fundamental like family values. I know that our families are probably going to mesh well. And there isn't going to be that, I don't want to call it awkward, but like the the, navigating of different cultures. Yeah. And trying to smooth things out so they fit. And sometimes people don't necessarily fit into that family dynamic as easily Mm -hmm. as you'd think. It's Uh, also interesting too, because he's, they obviously did have some chemistry, yeah. allegedly, in the actors now don't that actually see have TV chemistry, now. but like, <laughs> they did have this moment together where, and I think you, you were supposed to get the perception that he does like her and he's having this internal struggle of wanting to date and marry a black woman, but just for that principle of mm-hmm. marrying yeah. a black woman and denying her, even though he may actually like her. And so there's kind of this navigation of, yeah, and I know you don't like the word navigate. Stop <laughs> using it. There's kind of this exploration of oh, that's a good one. Exploration. <laughs> There's an exploration of like your own personal needs and wants and desires and attractions, and then your principles and your values and all of this other background that yeah. plays into it when you're in a long term relationship. And I don't think those things are going to be like mutually exclusive because he dates a white woman, then his values don't match up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it's good to challenge yourselves when you have those kind of like set ideals or principles in place. Like, what would it mean for you to go against that? Does that mean you're a bad person? What does it mean for mm-hmm. your lifestyle? Is it worth turning away from everything that you believe in? Um, and that's like a case by case basis for everybody. And I think that's kind of what he's dealing with in the situation. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely very good luck to them. Honestly, yes. I didn't see any chemistry between the two. Yeah. It kind of came out of pairing. the blue. That, yeah. yeah, it was. It's definitely we'll see. I think it was forced for the script. Me I personally, I agree. Um, and then on the same vein, while we're talking about Dr. Bloom, who, as we already mentioned, is the chief of the emergency department, there's a scene where she's in with this um, boy from Liberia who maybe has Ebola and she goes in there. He starts crashing and she goes in there to help him. And then freaking Dr. Good is yelling at her what to do from the outside. I'm like, she's the chief of the ED. I think she knows what to do. Like, she just, doesn't need a man to tell her can what we to just do. Go back for a second and talk about this scene. Yeah. Because, yeah, the kid is in isolation because they think he has Ebola virus, right? right? Um, and she has to basically get suited up in like hazmat wear so she doesn't get the virus. And she was like, oh, the patient's crashing. I'm not going to bother doing that and goes into the room. I had a huge issue with that. Yeah. <laughs> I had a huge issue with that. I get it. It's sensationalization mm-hmm. um, Heroism. For, the, for the TV or whatever. But 
like you don't expose yourself to danger. You have to, I don't know, I feel like protocols are there for a reason and medical shows showing doctors Mm -hmm. (laughs) breaking these protocols. Like that just like annoys me to no end when I see that on these shows. Um, And I don't think it sets a good example for young, impressionable people who are watching these shows. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she gets into the room. She's exposed to the virus and she's trying to resuscitate this kid. I didn't get the same um, well, so I think like she, impression as you. It was like, oh, he's telling her what to do. I think in, she's in there by herself, and he can see things that she can't because she's focused on the patient. She's by herself. And, like, they had a disagreement about, like, how much epi adrenaline they called it. Nobody called it. <laughs> <laughs> how much epi to give the patient. And she's like, oh, it's too much. And the doctor goes, no, like, with this virus, you can give. 10 mics or right. however many it was. But it wasn't even a bullet anyways. It's like, he's just mansplaining to her. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I honestly didn't get that from Well, part from of it. the issue I had is that she, they kind of portrayed her in panic mode. It was part of the reason why she didn't even finish putting on her ha- her full hazmat suit. Is like she just saw the patient coding and was like, I need to get in there and panicked as females are typically portrayed in Hollywood mm. as like, irrational and panicky so she runs in there and is trying to save him and like doesn't even know how much adrenaline to give him and then (laughs) this calm doctor of course he's like calmly putting on a suit while he's explaining oh get that adrenaline out of that drawer and do 20 and and i was just like this is not helping i don't know that's why i took issue with it but i see your side too i don't know i guess maybe i was just like oh like patients crashing and then there's one person that can see from literally outside looking in yeah um and she's like up close and personal she gets you know airway and she's bagging the patient and he's like he's gonna need effie because his like blood pressure and his heart rate was tanking yeah And, and i don't know I felt like it was a collaborative effort. That's fair. I could be too hyper-focused on it. Um, That's why we have different perspectives. That's true. (laughs) We were watching two Um, different shows, girl. (laughs) If you have Ebola and you start the hemorrhagic vomiting, you're you're already dead. There's no need for a doctor to go in there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) deceased. (laughs) And also if you have Lassa virus, which he actually did have, you're not doing that. So just a side note. Yeah, let's transition to the third prominent doctor in the show, who's the neurologist, Dr. Kapoor. And his interesting patient is a patient who presents to the emergency room with Parkinson's. No, no, she presented dead. dead. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) They were, you know, getting ready to death. (laughs) So basically she was in rigor mortis. She had stiff (laughs) joints, right? And she, and she's in the emergency room. So they thought, oh, like she's dead. They couldn't, they didn't have like a heartbeat or anything like that. And Dr. Bloom realizes that she's like taking breaths or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they resuscitate her and they take her up to neurology. And like literally this case is so weird because they literally thought she was dead. Um, And Dr. Kapoor is tasked with diagnosing this patient, kind of investigating and figuring out what's wrong with her. His main thing, which I really love, is... And he says this to the patient's um, husband. We're going to take it slowly. We're going to talk about literally everything. I want to know your story, your your wife's story. 
basically get a really good history is what he's trying to do. Um, and with in the history, he finds out that she was taking haloperidol, which is an antipsychotic uh, for depression. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and she was basically taking a bunch of other meds. To the patient's husband's frustration, he's not really doing anything for the patient. Dr. Goodwin eventually gets involved, and Dr. Goodwin is the new director for the hospital and basically is like, well, I'm taking this patient over because you're obviously not doing your job. Very aptly, Dr. Kapoor says, well, if I would have just started treating her for Parkinson's disease, she does not have Parkinson's disease, she would have gone into cardiac arrest and died. And then he shows him like imaging a former PET scan that she had, and she had like specs or something in the media oh, yeah. sinum. I didn't even see those. On the, <laughs> I was like, what are they looking at? Uh, and then Dr. Goodwin says, oh, that's artifact. And Dr. Kapoor says, uh, nah, dude, she got a malignant thymoma. <laughs> she was <laughs> he mis- said it like that too. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, she was misdiagnosed and was being mistreated and the way she was being treated is why she presented the way she did in the ED. The fact that he took his time to figure out what was going to literally investigate, he bought her more time than what she would have had if he continued treating for uh, Parkinson's disease. And I loved his arc of the story because he made a point to say, taking your time is not necessarily a bad thing in medicine. To take things step by step, to do things one at a time, is not a bad thing in medicine Mm -hmm. because we are trained to, like, you know, be fast, um, be efficient. Um, And sometimes those things lead us to missing steps and missing clues. And that definitely resonated with me right now. I'm in family medicine, and I feel like you have a, quote-unquote, 15-minute time slot to to do a very complicated chronic care management patient visit. And you can't do it in 15 minutes. And I feel so rushed every day, literally running from patient room to patient room. And I just wonder how many things are going undiagnosed or unheard and falling Mm. like that patients aren't getting to talk to their providers about because we are in this healthcare system that is so about efficiency and time. And this is, like you said, a very nice step back into Sometimes it's okay if you don't see a result right away, but mm-hmm. to take time and think about it and ask those questions. Yeah, most of the time a good history is all you need, right? <laughs> yeah. While we're on the topic of Dr. Kapoor, I one thing I didn't like that he said, because um, this patient was being treated for depression with haloperidol, which in real life you don't do, by the way, but um, that she has this sort of history of being misdiagnosed with depression and and depression that is resistant to medication. When they finally discovered what she had and how she had been misdiagnosed, he said, um, you have a strong and resilient mind. I'm sorry you were led to believe otherwise. And that kind of hit a nerve with me because it's talking about if you have depression, then your mind is not resilient and strong. But That's not the message that we need to be sending about mental health is that these people who do and are actually suffering from depression can be just as resilient and strong, even though they have depression. And so a depressed person is not a broken person and they are not a non-resilient person. And I just would want to reiterate that. And I didn't like that message that they sent. 
But I do agree with you, Bushra. I love Dr. Kapoor's character and his approach to medicine in general. On that note, I think there is a lot more in this episode that we could talk about and we don't have time, but this episode just seemed really glued together. They threw a lot of things in there and it was jumpy. And- yeah, it wasn't as seamless as I like for a show to be. It was hard to follow. Mm-hmm. I think there are too many things going on in the first episode. I might get some flack for saying this, but I feel like they just put in things into the show to be maybe controversial or to be like, oh, we're like so 21st century where you think about all the things. There was a little kid from Liberia who might be a terrorist, the new director who's trying to achieve all the things, and he also (laughs) has cancer. There was, (laughs) you know, the immigrant woman. Sorry, spoiler alert. The woman who was misdiagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and she's also an illegal immigrant. Right. And there's several other things. And I'm like... Too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I also thought that the show didn't even address insurance and non-insurance, which is what I thought the whole premise of it being a public hospital was going to even address in the first place. So Yeah. I honestly, it felt like I was doing a homework assignment watching this show. (laughs) And I don't know that I'll watch episode two. Okay, that was going to be my next question. So of the medical shows that you will be watching this fall, what are they in order of priority? Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. We stand for Grey's Anatomy. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the second one is going to be The Good Doctor. I would agree with that. That's about it. Yeah, don't watch The Resident. (laughs) It's not worth your time. (laughs) And then just for our producer, we'll put um, Chicago Med on there as number three. (laughs) (laughs) all right so so. that's a wrap on our review of the pilot of new amsterdam if you agree or disagree or want to even start a conversation about one of the pieces that we didn't touch on uh, drop us a line at um, bundle of hers on instagram on facebook or on twitter catch you later send us a tweet what did what was her G calling it? A, tw- a, a twitch. twitch. She was yeah, calling it a twitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't twit us. <laughs> tweet us, please. Tweet, tweet,